Have you ever been disappointed by somebody? All parents in here, shake your head yes. <laughs> Have you ever trusted someone to do a task and they failed to do it? Um, probably that's true. Probably all of us in here have been on the other side of that as well, have we not? Someone has trusted us to do a task and we've failed to do it, right? That, um, I'll, I'll raise my hand and be honest and say that that happens at my house quite a bit, uh, more than I would like to admit, more than my wife would probably tell you, even if she was trying to be, she's just trying to be kind probably. But there, there are lots of times my wife will ask me to do something and, um, you know, I just won't, I just won't remember. You know, it's not that I don't love her. It's not that I don't want to do it for her. Well, maybe sometimes it is. But it's not that I, it's not that I, I don't care. It's just that whatever she's asked me to do may not be that important to me at the time. And so if I don't write it down or if I don't, you know, make a calendar appointment or something like that for me to do it, I'm probably going to forget about it. And more than likely, I'm going to fail to be faithful. She's asked me to do something, I'd say, yes, I will do it, and then I fail to come through. I fail to be faithful to what I had promised. And last week, we looked at the story of Abram, beginning of the story of Abram, and, and we see Abram being called out and from his family, from his kindred, from everything that he knew, and God is calling him out to a place that he didn't have any clue about. He didn't know where he was going. Uh, and so he takes off on this journey towards Canaan and eventually gets to the land of Canaan. And God says, stop, this is the land that I have promised to you. And this land that you see is going to be given to your family, to all your descendants. And as we looked at Abram, we saw that uh, Abraham believed God based on his promises. And God proved himself to be faithful by proving that his promises are true. Now, did Abram see the final end of those promises? No, absolutely not. He, he died in the land of Canaan uh, and never got to see his children, the children of Israel, take over the land of Canaan. So he never got to see it completely fulfilled, but he was there in the land. God brought him, God brought him to the land. God showed him exactly what was going to be his and his children's. And he, and he reminded him of that promise. And so Abram was able to trust in God. This morning, though, we're going to look at um, actually a, a little bit of a recurring theme in the life of Abram. If you, if you know the story of Abram, you know this is not the first time this incident happens, um, which you would think after the first time he would learn the lesson, right? But uh, we'll, we'll visit that one a little bit later on as we look at the life of Abram as we go through Genesis um, but we're going to look at a failure of Abraham. You know, we look at Hebrews chapter 11 and we see Abraham is actually listed there twice. Did you know that? Abraham's listed twice in Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, this guy had double faith, right? He's listed for leaving the, his land, his, his homeland, right? Which was where? Anybody remember? What? What? Ur, wrong. He started in Ur, but where was the call? Anybody remember? Starts with an H. Haran, yes, there you go, very good. She was looking back, I saw that. No, I'm just kidding. 
Haran, right? So he, he hears the call and he obeys. So that's the first one that's mentioned in Hebrews, but the second one, anybody remember what the second one is? Where Abram is praised for his faith? This is the big one, guys. What? Sacrificing his son, right? Yeah. Sacrificing Isaac, is that what you said? I couldn't hear you. You're mumbling. All right. <laughs> so sacrificing Isaac, right? So he's, he's in there twice. This is a man that we know is a man of faith, right? He's, he's a guy that we look at as, as one of the pillars, right? And, and he, we look at him and think, this is a guy that we want to be like until we get to the middle of chapter 12, right? And we're actually going to go through, believe it or not, in the next 40-some minutes, we're going to go through all the way through chapter 13. I'm telling you, it's real. Here we go. All right, buckle up. All right, so Genesis chapter 12, we've come through the call of Abraham. He's in, uh, he's in the land of Canaan, which would eventually become the land of Israel. And he's kind of moved his way down, right? He's moved his way all the way through the land of Canaan. He's down near the bottom, kind of the deserty area. Um, and it was called the southern area. That's kind of what that word, if you, have, if you use the ESV, it says Negeb. Uh, that's what that word means, right? And here we come to chapter 12, and, and uh, I've redeemed myself this week, and I have three points for you, all right? I have three points for you, all right? So if you're taking notes, you don't have to be like, what in the world is his point? Is he trying to make in this passage, all right? Enough with the genealogies and all that fun stuff. So I've got three points, and I'll try to make sure that they're clear, all right? So the first point this morning and this is, yes, about Abram, but also about us as well. And that is that our faith is tested by trials. Our faith is tested by trials. Now, we saw this uh, in one point in, in the life of Noah, right? We looked at Noah and him being on the ark for over a year. That's, that's a bit of a trial, I think, in, in my opinion. That's, that's kind of rough. And so we were familiar with this concept that faith is tested in trials. Um, but in the life of Noah, we have a good example, right? We have an example of Noah uh, doing what he's told. He's, he's, we don't see, see anything about him complaining. We don't see anything about him, you know, wondering what's going on, having a bad attitude. We just see him obeying, right? And th this time, we get, we get to see the, the flip side. We get to see the other side. We get to see probably, quite frankly, what happens more often to us than what happened with Noah. And that's in the life of Moses here. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter 12, <clears throat> starting in verse 10. We see right away what the test is, what the trial is. It says, now there was a famine in the land. What's the trial? Famine. What's a famine? Kids, what's a famine? Anybody know? Yes. A drought, right? It's, it's a time where stuff's not growing. The plants that you need are not growing, all right? There, there's no food around. It's really hard to find food, especially in an agrarian society, when there's a famine, all right? So we have the trial right here at the beginning of verse 10. So there was a famine in the land, and what happened? So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. All right, so what's happening here? Abram sees that there's a famine in the land, and it's a, it's a pretty bad famine. What did it say? It said that the famine was severe in the land. So this is a pretty bad famine, right? And what, is, what does Abram decide to do? 
decides to go down to Egypt. Now, famines are interesting in Scripture. Um, they sit down. It's fun when mom's not here. Famines are interesting in Scripture. They, they are often used as a form of punishment from God, uh, specifically on the children of Israel, um, sometimes on the enemies of the children of Israel. Um, it's interesting, one, I, I, I'm kind of basing some of my thoughts here on another instance uh, of a famine found in the book of Ruth. But famines are, are not always judgment, but a lot of times they're used for judgment by God. And we don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us why the famine was here, but we know that the famine was there in the land of Canaan for Abram. And this was, I believe, a trial. I think this was a test of Abram's faith. Because where had God called Abram to go? Was it Egypt? Canaan, right? It was Canaan. And where did Abram end up going now? Egypt, right? He said, this is too hard. We got we to find food. We got to move. Now, can you really blame Abram? I mean, really, you think about this. Abram is a wealthy man. It says, remember, when, when he left Haran, what did he have? He had wealth. He had stuff. He had people, right? He had servants. He, his, he had a big house for a nomad. He had a big house, right? He had lots of people. He had lots of things to take care of. So can we really blame Abram for sitting here going, man, there's a severe famine in the land. How, how am I going to feed all these people? How am I going to take care of my house? And we see here Abram's faith beginning to dwindle a little bit because God has called Abram to Canaan. And I believe that this is a test from God to find out whether Abram was going to be faithful or not. And it's one of the reasons why I think that is you look at the book of Ruth. And in the book of Ruth, you see um, Naomi and her husband, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, um, and their two sons. And when did they leave? What was going on when they left? Anybody remember? A famine. That famine was a judgment on the nation of Israel. And where did they go? They went to Moab, right? And of course, that's where Ruth came from. And of course, God is working in all this, right? We know that Ruth was in the line of who? Christ, right? He's the line of David, line of Christ. So God's working even through our, our disobedience. And he's going to work even through Abram's disobedience. But I think it's interesting. What happens when that family leaves the promised land that God had them at? What happened? Dad died, sons died, right? And here's Naomi with none of her family left except these two daughter-in-laws. And I think God is doing the same thing here with Abram. He's testing and he's saying, what are you going to do? Are you going to have faith in me who has just proved to you that what I say is true? I've just brought you to the land. I've promised you this very land that you are right in the smack dab in the middle of. I've promised this to you. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to believe that I am faithful? Do you have faith? And Abraham's faith is tested. And, and like so many of us, his faith wavers. And he begins to go down to the land of Canaan. But it gets worse than that, right? It's, it's worse than just not trusting that God's going to provide. What happens next? He takes it a step further, right? What does he say? When he was about to enter Egypt, verse 11, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. 
Well, that's good. Everyone would likes to hear that, right? Yeah. Hey, babe, I think you're gorgeous, right? That's the Welch version. All right, I think you're a woman. I know that you're a woman of beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will what? Kill me. Who's he looking out for? Number one, right? He's looking out for himself. So not only is he not believing, not trusting in God, but now that he's walked, begun to walk down this path, what's his number one concern? Me. Me, myself, and I. My preservation. My safety. My security. My health. Right? He's leaving the land that God has promised to him, the land that God has called him to, and he begins to walk down this path where everything becomes about him. But they will let you live. Verse 13, say you are my sister, that it, may, that it may go well with who? With me, because of you. And that my life may be spared for your sake. Man, that's pretty bad, isn't it? I mean... I don't know about you, but my wife would have some choice words for me um, if I were to say something like this to her. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe Sarah didn't have the, uh, the ability to, to say back to, to anything to Abram at that time, but man, that's, that's pretty selfish, isn't it? He's walked, in my opinion, out of the will of God, where God has called him to be, and now everything is fearful. Everything is all about protecting himself, keeping himself safe. Let's see what happens. When Abram, verse 14, entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. He was right. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt with Abram. He dealt well with Abram and he had sheep oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So the plan worked, right? It worked. He didn't get killed. Now his wife still got taken, but hey, he's all right. And he's got more stuff. That's like a win-win, you know? Sarah's not nagging at him because she's in Pharaoh's house. No, I'm just kidding. But you know, he's got all this stuff, this new stuff, and he didn't get killed. It seems like everything's going well. He's left the land of promise. He's left the land that God has called him to. He's begun to walk down this path of selfishness, and everything seems hunky-dory. Have you ever been there? Not to Egypt. Have you ever taken a step maybe outside of God's will for your life? Have you maybe pursued something that wasn't in his timing? Was Egypt a terrible, horrible place for Abram to go? Not necessarily. They apparently had food. It was, it was a very lush land. We're going to read that later on in chapter 13. It was, it was a lush land. It was, it was a bountiful land. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily bad for Abram to be there unless God didn't want him there. And as we look in the next verses, I think we're going to see that God doesn't want Abram there. So Abram continues down this path, probably out of the will of God, certainly fearing for his own safety because of it. 
And he's a man that is wavering in his faith. You know, God allows trials oftentimes in our life to test our faith. He allows perhaps a sickness to come into our life to test us, to see whether we're going to trust in him. He allows financial difficulties to come into our lives to see if we're going to lean on him and trust him or if we're going to try to figure out our own way. My dad, um, I use my dad a lot. I'm not sure if that's good or bad in sermon messages. But my dad, is a, he's a master finagler. All right? Somebody, you understand what finagling is, you know? He, he, he's a manipulator. He likes to take the situation. He likes to, to twist it around and try to, try to get the best deal, right? Try to get the best thing for him. Uh, and that's great when you're dealing with, like, uh, travel agents, you know, or maybe insurance companies, <laughs> you know, things like that. That's awesome. But... God does not want finaglers in the Christian life. God does not want you to figure out what you need to do to make your life better. What he wants from us is faithfulness. See, the truth is, most of us approach these trials and the last thought in our mind is to go to God. The first thought in our mind is, okay, how are we going to deal with this? When we lose a job, what's the first thing that we do? All right, got to dust off the resume, right? Got to dust off the resume, got to start sending it out to people, got to start making phone calls, got to start looking at the classified ads, got to do all these things. And so often, the afterthought is prayer, is it not? Because we hit the trial and we realize that our faith is weak. We hit the trial when we realize that we don't really trust God nearly as much as we say we do. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. Some translations say patience. Have you ever gone through a trial and felt patient? Just, it's okay. God's got it. Have you ever done that? That's hard to do. That's hard to do because our faith is weak. But that's why we go through trials. We go through trials, James tells us, so that it will produce in us steadfastness, patience, trust in the one who's in control of everything. And he says, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials produce in us patience and faith in God, in his faithfulness. When we begin to lay the trial at his feet and say, God, I can't do this. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what you want me to do, where you want me to go. You've got to show me. You've got to do it. That's faith. And here in this chapter, Abraham, Abram is not doing that. He did it. He did it all the way to Canaan. But then when times got tough, when there's famine in the land, when the trial comes, what does he do? He flees. He flees from the land of promise and he, and he seeks to, to save himself and to preserve himself. And so often we do the same. 
because our faith is tested in trials. Often we fail like Abraham. And when we fail in our faith, we begin to trust our own way. The rest of that passage in James says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Why would we need wisdom? Why would we need wisdom? Because we're going through trials. And when we go through trials, we don't know what God is doing. We need his wisdom. We need his wisdom to do the right thing. In this passage, we don't see Abram seeking God. We don't see Abram begging God for, for, for help. We don't see Abram asking God, what do you want me to do? We just see Abram reacting. We just see Abram doing something. And he did what was right in his own eyes. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh, and refreshment to your bones. God brings trials in our lives to test our faith. Just like Abram. The question is, how strong is our faith? Do we flee like Abram does? Do we lean on our own understanding like Abram did? Or do we lean on God? Do we trust in him? Do we beg him for wisdom? How do you respond to trials? The next part of the passage here, we see not only is our faith tested by trials, but God is faithful in seeking to restore his chosen ones. Even though we fail, even though we hit these trials and so often we, we stop leaning on God and so often we start leaning on our own idea of what is best and what is right, even though we mess up time and time and time and time again, God is faithful in seeking to restore his chosen ones. He's faithful. What does he do with Abram? Starting in verse 17, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. God intervened. Abram's having a good time, is he not? And he got down there. Everybody's safe. Everybody's secure. Yeah, his wife's there with Pharaoh, but, you know, he's got more stuff. He's got more servants. He's got more donkeys. He's got more camels. He's got all these things. Everything seems to be going pretty well, right? Everything's going well, except for God doesn't want him there. And so God intervenes. God intervenes and he says, no, this is not good. And he intervenes not to Abram. Who does he intervene with? Pharaoh, right? He sends plagues on Pharaoh's house. So Pharaoh called Abram in verse 18 and says, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. All right? You think, you think God made an impact? <laughs> right? He, pretty, he made it pretty clear, this guy shouldn't be here. This guy is not supposed to be here. In fact, I don't know how he knew. I mean, somehow, maybe God through, the, through the, a dream or something. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. He does use a dream 
uh, with the other instance. But uh, we don't know exactly how Pharaoh understood what was going on, but, but he got the message. He got the message that this guy, Abram, he should not be down here. He's like, take your wife and get out. Get gone, right? And God works here in this situation, even though everything seems to be going well, everything seems to be going right, God works in this situation to get Abram back where he's supposed to be. Out of the land of Egypt and back in the land of Canaan. It's interesting, he does that through uh, intervening kind of in this relationship with Pharaoh and Abram. You notice that? He intervenes. Everything seems to be going well. They're on good terms. It says that he dealt well with Abram, right? Then all of a sudden we've got the Pharaoh being like, get out. You cannot be here, right? I do not want any more of this. And God intervenes in Pharaoh's life to push Abram back where he should have gone. What about us? When we fail to obey, when we seek our own path, when we go down this road and we begin to sin and and fulfill our own selfish ambition, we forget the fact that our sin affects other people. Do you think Abram thought for one minute that him going down to Egypt was going to produce a bunch of plagues? Plagues? Do you think he thought that was going to happen? Do you think he thought that you know, he was going to get run out. Well, obviously, he thought he was going to get killed. <laughs> but he didn't, probably didn't think everything was going to go well, and then he'd get run out of Dodge. Especially once he got down there and everything went well, he, he probably figured everything's great. Maybe he, he even told himself, God is blessing this, right? Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever followed your own path and thought to yourself, God is blessing this? right before everything crumbled. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? We are, we are so quick to fool ourselves, are we not? When we, when we pursue our own things, when we pursue our own, own interests, we're so quick to deceive ourselves into thinking God has done this for us. And I wonder if even Abraham might have thought that. But our sin doesn't just affect us, it affects other people. Here in Abraham's life, his sin affected not just Pharaoh, but his servants, practically the nation of Egypt, simply because he left where God wanted him to be and went to the wrong place. His sin affected other people. There are other examples of this in Scripture. Obviously, the biggest one we've, taught, we've looked at not that long ago in, Abraham, in Adam, right? If anyone's sin affected people, it was Adam, was it not? Romans 5.12 tells us that by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Adam's a perfect example. We say, well, yeah, but he's the start, right? Who else? Anybody know the story of Achan and Joshua? People are going into the land of, of Canaan, right? And they're attacking the city of Jericho, and they're going in and they're taking the plunder and, and it was told them, don't take any of the plunder for yourself. Take it in and bring it into uh, the tabernacle, if I remember correctly. And, uh, and yet Achan did what? He took some of the goods, right? He took clothes and he took um, some of the precious metal. I forget off the top of my head now. He stole these things and he's 
dug him a hole under his tent and he, and he hid him there. And he thought nobody knew. And then the children of Israel go to, to fight Ai, a much smaller city, one that they should have conquered easily, and they get slaughtered. And Joshua says, what in the world, Lord? Why did this happen? And he says, because there's sin in the camp. Because one man took what he wasn't supposed to have and hid it. Sin affects other people. We're going through the life of David in TNT in Awana. You think his sin affected other people? We have the sin with Bathsheba. Caused her to commit adultery. Caused him to become a murderer. Not only that, there's David's sin several times. I, I referenced the, that God uses plagues for judgment. Plague was one of the options that David had for another sin. Sin affects other people. And when we begin to go down the path, we leave this place where God wants us and get, begin to go down the path of our own understanding and of, of our own knowledge and our own desires, we're going to end up the same way Abram did. And eventually the sin that we sow will not only affect ourselves, but will affect our families, will affect others around us, because sin affects others. But God has promised to discipline his children when we stray. He's promised to discipline us when we stray. Just like God reached down in that situation and intervened in Egypt and, and got Abram thrown out of Egypt back to the promised land, back to the land of Canaan, God does the same thing for us. He is faithful to discipline us, to bring us back, to restore us to where he wants us to be. Hebrews 12 verses 3 through 11 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin that you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood and have not forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. Notice that word sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share what? His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God promises to discipline us to bring us back to him. To bring us back to a right relationship with him. To bring us back to a place, I love how it says that, that we would yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Just as God is bringing Abram back to the land of promise, he disciplines us. He disciplines us to bring us back to the where he wants us to be, whether that's a location, whether that's a mindset, 
whether that's a sin habit, there is discipline. And the levels of discipline are different for everybody. Some people respond differently to one type of discipline. Others respond better to others. I mean, those of you who are parents, you know that about your children. Your children respond differently to different types of discipline. And we do the same thing. But God is faithful to discipline us. Let's move on to chapter 13. It says, Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had, chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot was with him into the Negev. So now they're back into the land of Canaan. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Where did Abram go? He went back to the place where God had met him. He went back to the place where he had built an altar. He went back to the place where his relationship with God was right. That's where Abram went. It wasn't enough just to get back into the Negev. He went back up to Bethel. He went back up to where he had that relationship with God. But it's not quite done. Yes, he, he was brought back to the land of promise, but God has one more thing that he wants to fix. Verse 5, And Lot, who was with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So what's going on here? Lot has been traveling with Abram since Haran, right? He's been with them. He's gone down to Egypt with him. He came back from Egypt with him. Lot has, has seen all these things. He's grown rich as well. And in fact, they're both so rich, they can't, they can't work well together. They're, they're fine as far as uncle and nephew are. There's, we don't see any strife or struggle between the two of them. But what we do see is the servants, right? The servants can't seem to get along with one another. They can't seem to figure out how to live peaceably with one another. And there's strife and there's struggle. So what's the solution? What's the solution? Then Abraham said to Lot in verse 8, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you separate yourself from me? If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. What did God tell Abram at the beginning of chapter 12? He said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, 
The Bible doesn't say that Abram specifically took Lot with him. It says that Lot went with him. But it's interesting that God seems to want Lot away. Did you ever think about that? See, we, we often read this passage and we kind, of, we kind of put Lot in a bad light, do we not? You know, we think of Lot, he's, well, he's a selfish guy. He took the Jordan Valley, right? We, we think of him as kind of a, a jerk, <laughs> you know? And, and we, even, we even, people preach, preach from this passage and they, they talk about Lot and, and where he's going. And they even read into Scripture and say, man, Lot, he was, he was a wicked man. He, just, he was, you know, pitching his tent towards Sodom, right? That's, he was headed that way. That's what he wanted to do. That's what he wanted to be like, right? That's not what the Bible says. That's a bunch of poor preaching. Seriously. All it says is he looked out, saw this look good, and that's where he went. Yeah, Scripture tells us that Sodom and Gomorrah is a bad place. We're going to find that out later on too. But I don't think it was Lot that was doing all this. I think it was God. God had allowed these men to become so wealthy that there was no way they could dwell together. And so what God had called Abram to do at the beginning of chapter 12, he completes. And the last person who is a close relative of Abram and Sarai gets pushed away. If you look at a map, it's, it's a good distance. He goes all the way on the east side on the east side of the land of Canaan. And in fact, he actually looks like crosses over the Jordan River onto the east side of the Jordan River. That's where we believe that Sodom and Gomorrah was. So it would have been east and then south as he moves his way down. God is fulfilling what Abram was supposed to do. He brings them completely to the point of obedience. Not only is God faithful to restore his chosen ones, but he is faithful in affirming his promises. He's faithful in affirming his promises. We are not faithful people. Abram proved himself, at least at this time, to not be a faithful person because he's human, right? He's a man that's flesh and blood. He's a man that has fears just like we do. And in this instance, he was not faithful. But yet in spite of Abram's lack of faith, God is reminding him that he is faithful. In spite of Abram's failure to obey, failure to stay where he's supposed to be, God shows himself faithful. It's interesting, Abram never again leaves the land of Canaan. Did you know that? Never again leaves the land of Canaan. You think he got the message? Genesis chapter 24, we see Abram sending his servant to go get a wife for his son Isaac. And he says, don't choose anybody from the land of Canaan. We'll get there. It'll be several months, so don't worry about it. You know, don't choose anybody from the land of Canaan. I want you to go back to Haran. And I want you to go back to my, my family and I want you to get a daughter of, of my family for, as a wife for my son Isaac. And the, and the servant says, okay, but if I get there 
and the, and the, and the, 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 the lady doesn't want to come back. Should I come back and get Isaac to prove to her there's really a, there's really a guy for you to marry, you know? It, it, should I come back and get Isaac? And Abraham says, no. Do not let Isaac leave this land. You think Abram got the point? He did. God is faithful in affirming his promises even when we're not faithful to obeying. He restates his blessing here. In verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes. Look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring. How long? Forever. He already said that, right? When he came to Shechem, he said, this is the land. This is the land that I've promised to you. You're here. You're where I've called you to be. But here he restates it one more time. He says, look around. Everything that you see, it's all yours. It's all yours. It's yours forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and he came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. In spite of Abram's lack of faith, in spite of Abram's sin, God doesn't say, well, you blew it. Too bad, you're back in the land of Canaan, but it's all on you now. No, because he had already promised. And God is faithful to fulfill his promises. He says, look around you, this is all yours. Not just now, not just in a few generations, but forever. It's yours forever. And you know what? I'm going to go further. Those children I was talking about, there are going to be so many of them, you, you can't count them. If you can count the dust of the earth, you can count them. But you can't count them. There are going to be that many. And he says, walk about, explore this land that I am going to give you and your family. Because my promises are true and I am faithful in spite of your faithfulness. God is faithful to Abraham and he blesses him and he, and he continues to bless him in spite of his failure, in spite of his failures, failures in the future. We'll see that God continues to be faithful. And for us as well, God's faithfulness remains true even when we've failed. God is still faithful even when we've messed up, even when we've walked away from what we know we're supposed to do. From who we know we're supposed to be, God is faithful. Romans 3, 1 through 4 says, when the advan- what, then what is the advantage of the Jew? Wow, I completely messed that up. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. By no means, let God be true 
though everyone else, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. God is faithful in spite of the faithlessness of his people. Whether that's the children of Israel or whether that's the church, God is faithful. Even when we're not. 2 Timothy 2, 8-13 says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a, as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory, for the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, he will also live with him. We will also live with him. If we endure we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? For he cannot deny himself. God is faithful in spite of us. One last passage, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Very familiar passage says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised. God made promises to Abram. And even though Abram failed to fulfill his faith, God remained faithful. He reassured him that the promise was still there. And he emphasized it even more. And the same is true for us. He has given us a way of escape. He has given us a home in heaven. He has given us a bright future. And even in the times that we are faithless, he is faithful. He is faithful to pursue. He is faithful to restore. And he is faithful to continue to provide the promises. What a great God we serve. You know, it's easy to, to take these passages and to look down on the other people, the other human beings who fail and fail ourselves to see the greatness of the God who is working in everything. He's doing everything for His glory. He's doing everything for His plan in spite of us many times. Have you thanked Him for that recently? Maybe you're here this morning and, and you find yourself in a trial. And you say, I don't know what the right path is, but you know, I'm just, I just picked one. I picked one and I'm going down and it felt right. Take some time and evaluate that. Ask yourself, is this where God wants me? Is this what he wants me to be doing? We're going to talk about that in our A&I time this morning. How do, we, how do we handle that situation? How do we deal with these times when we're tempted to be faithless, when we're tempted to fail? Part of it's understanding that the one that we serve is faithful no matter what. And we can always come back to him. I'm reminded of the parable that Christ gave of the prodigal son. And the father who was wealthy and gave him what he asked for, he went off and he squandered it. Finds himself basically homeless. Decides to come back to dad asking to be a servant. And what did the dad say? 
He said, my son has returned home. He ran to meet him. He fell on him. He loved him. He was waiting for him because he was faithful. He never gave up. And God never gives up on us. If you are his chosen one, God never gives up on you. Just like he never gave up on Abram, he brought him back to where he was supposed to be. He'll do the same for us. Are we willing? Are we willing to be led? Are we willing to be disciplined? Are we willing to be brought back to where we need to be? I hope so. Because if we are, we'll be able to glorify God. We'll be able to say with Abram, I'm back where I'm supposed to be. We'll be able to restore that relationship with God like Abram was. Where are you this morning? Is your faith frail? I love that song. When I fear my faith may fail, he will hold me fast. He's faithful in spite of us. Father, we thank you that not only are you sovereign, God, you are faithful. You are faithful to the end. Your faithfulness is unending. There is never a break in it. There is never a change in it. You are a God who does not change. You are a God who will not give up on what you've said because it's not in you. It is who you are to be faithful to what you have promised. And Lord, there's so many promises that you've given to us that if we would simply believe them, we would simply have faith in them, we would live so much better lives for you. And I pray that as we go to our time of, of discussion, that you would help us to not just throw out surface answers, answers, not just uh, give nebulous ideas. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts to one another, that we would share truth, that we would share struggles, that we would uh, take opportunities to, to lift one another up, to bear one another's burdens, that we would be encouraged by one another. Through this A&I time, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified as we discuss your word this morning. I pray that our hearts have been open and receptive. I pray that you would help us to be people of faith. I pray that you would help us to be people who fail less often, who walk down our own path less often. And I pray that you'd help us to just trust you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.